this is Alex Skolnick, and you're listening to Focused on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to your weekly dose of Focus on Metal. So the plan for this week fell apart a little bit, but I decided, damn it, I am going to keep it within the thrash vein no matter what. So this week, our focus is on legendary Bay Area thrash legends, Testament. And although we uh, don't have Alex on the show this week, we do have a former member of Testament on the show. That is original bassist Greg Christian, and he is going to go through all six of the first Testament albums as uh, Richie knocks it out and does a bit of a throwback with them. So for those of you unfamiliar, uh, Greg was the original bassist in Testament, and he played through uh, The Legacy, The New Order, Practice What You Preach, Souls of Black, The Ritual, Low, and then also the formation of Damnation and Dark Roots of Earth. And uh, his original gig with the band ended in 1996, but then he rejoined back in 2014, hence the formation of Damnation and Dark Roots of Earth. But uh, he left again in 2014, and he is now playing with a whole bunch of different folks, most notably Trauma. And Greg will go through a lot of what he's doing these days as Richie talks to him. So expect some uh, some very cool discussion with Greg this week. So having said that, then I will let you know that no track of the week this week because uh, you know what? We are just not going to have any time for it. So still working on what I was originally planning to do for this week. But for this week, right now, why don't I turn the microphones over to Richie and bassist Greg Christian. Hey, what's going on? Hey, Greg, how you doing? Uh, all right, I just woke up. Okay. I have my coffee here. Okay. For some reason, the, the ringer on my phone keeps turning itself off. I, like, never turn it off, and it's, like, it wasn't on. Anyways, um, what's up? That's, that's technology for you. Yep. <laughs> I've interviewed Alex a couple of times. Um, mm-hmm. but I've always wanted to get someone on to talk about the earlier albums from the band. And I figured you, you know, I've never spoken to you, so I reached out to you and you agreed to do it. So I'm really looking forward to this. Right on. Yeah. And just to give you a bit of my background, I'm, I'm originally from Ireland. Um, I never got to saw Testament play until they played in Dublin with Judas Priest and Megadeth. I think it was 2007. Uh-huh. And then I nine was it? And then I moved here about nine years ago. And I think you were in the band when you played in Worcester on the Dark Roots of Our Tour with Anthrax. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, I've seen I've seen you play a couple of times with the band, but I never I never got to see you when in the eighties or the early nineties. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I've only ever played in Ireland twice. Okay. On a very first tour in in 1987 with Anthrax, we played in in um, Dublin, and um, I think we actually played in Belfast too. I think. Okay. And and um, we did the we and then we did that Dublin show, which was the first show of the Judas Priest tour. Okay. Yeah, that was a great show. Yeah, I could say Ireland has changed so much. Oh yeah. In, in 1987, it was just it was depressed. You know, it looked poor. It was everything was gray. It looked run down and all that. And went there in 2009. It was just like a lot nicer than here. It was, <laughs> you know, it, it was like wow. You know, it's like it's like the U.S. has gone to shit in those years, and Ireland got like a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know whether you're aware of this, Greg, but the day I'm talking to you is the 33rd anniversary of Cliff Burton's death. Yes, it is. It's also my daughter's birthday. Okay. Okay. Um, can I ask you? That's how I know what day it is. Okay. Okay. So can I ask you a little bit about Cliff? Um, how well did you know him? I did not know him well. I met him a, a handful of times. Okay. Okay. I and can't say that I knew him at all, though. 
Okay. How, how big an influence was he on you, though? Like, were you... Oh, he was a huge influence on me. Okay. I very much looked up to him. Even at that point, the couple times that I spoke to him, I was, you know, still kind of, like, starstruck, you know? And that was, that was, you know, when they were, you know, when, when they were still really an underground band. Yeah. But, you know, but I was like, to, to me, they were like the best thing ever, you know? And so the times that I did meet him, because, you know, we, we're in the same area. The, to, the times I met him was, was at clubs, you know, at, at like Ruthie's Inn and, and stuff, you know, at, other, at, at metal shows. Yeah. And I was kind of. I was kind of half starstruck, you know, when I did that. Like, wow, that's Cliff Burton, you know. Mm. <laughs> so, can you remember where you were when you found out that he he died? I, oh yes, absolutely. Um, I lived in the same town that he was from at that time um, in Castro Valley. My roommate was Dean Dell from Violence, and. He he knew Cliff, and in fact, his girlfriend Audrey was was very close with Cliff. And the phone, like Dean and I, that that was you know, I'm gonna put it up. We were like, like I was 20, and I think Dean was like probably 18 or 19. And you know, we were just kids. It was a total party house in our apartment, you know, and. And I remember early in the morning, the phone just kept ringing. And, and I finally get up and come out of my room. Dean's asleep on the couch, like 10 feet away from me, and he was not moving. And, I, and it was like 6 in the morning, and I answered the phone, and it's Audrey calling up in tears. She's like, I know I know, Dean's sleeping, but wake him up, wake him up. You know, she was freaking out, and she's like, Cliff died in a, in a bus accident in Sweden last night. And so, I mean, I was one of the first people to know. Wow. Because of, because I happened to, basically because my, my roommate happened to know him. Yeah. Yeah. And so I go and wake Dean up and I'm like, dude, Audrey's on the phone in tears. You got to get up. And then, and, and then, you know, I got him on the phone and yeah, it was, it, it was, that was a crazy day because that was the same day that Johnny Z flew from New York to San Francisco to check out Legacy to see if he wanted to sign us. And when I got to the studio, um, cause we were going to rehearse for a little bit before, um, before Johnny got there. And it was just that whole time. It was the craziest time because right as this big things happened that, you know, we, we could maybe get signed and all this. It was like, everybody had something happen. I, I had, I, I got my fingers smashed in a, in a car door at work. I lost two fingernails on my right hand. Um, Eric had, was, he messed his hand up somehow. He was like play fighting with one of our friends and he like jammed his hand and he could barely play. I could barely play. And Chuck just had his wisdom teeth removed and he could barely see his faces all swollen up. And we're just like, oh God, we're just going to, we're going to suck. You know, this guy's going to fly out to New York, watch his play and go, nah. And when I got to the, to our studio, I, I told everyone what had happened. And, you know, it's, I don't know. Same, I guess, same you know reaction as usual. They all, they've done it. Them believe me. They're all, oh, you're full of shit. All oh, this. And when Johnny Z got there, he walked in and he kind of just like had this look on his face, like like he'd seen a ghost or something. He just was, did not look well. And he said um, to us, he's like, you know, why don't you guys, you guys go ahead and play anyways. So my mind's not here right now. Uh, you know, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to come back in a week or two. Well, I don't know if you guys know what happened in Sweden or not last night. And I looked at those guys. I'm like, what? You think I'd make that shit up? You know? Because like they they didn't believe me. And 
that was apparent. I guess, you know, he said he had gotten a phone call at like three in the morning about what happened and was up just walking around by the, by the wharf and stuff in San Francisco, just, just tripping, you know? Wow. Um, and yeah, like I said, you know, he did not look well at all. And we, you know, we ran through a few songs and, <clears throat> and called it a day and we still ended up getting signed. So that it's crazy that all that happened at the same time. Yeah. No, Greg, I've read that you actually tried out for Metallica after Cliff died. Is that true? I was the very first person they called. Um, I think that they, they at first saw me as maybe um, a, a, an easy fit, you know, and that I was local. And you don't know how many times I kicked myself for not um, giving it my all. To tell you the truth, I'm a little bit younger than those guys, and I was I was very much intimidated by them, and I was already I was going to get signed with my band anyways with Legacy, and my fear was that I would get the gig because I could play, and you know within a month or two they would fire me for being a dumb kid, and then I would be ass out and have nothing. Hmm. So. I basically pretty much fucked off the, the tryout. And it's like I said, you don't know how many times I kicked myself over that one. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think maybe it's a kind of a similar story to John Bush, because John Bush said he was asked to join Metallica, and he he thought Armored Saint were going were gonna to be a smash, and he, he turned them down. Well, I didn't turn them down, but I didn't, but I didn't, you know, particularly... Uh, work hard to be prepared for the tryout, you know? Yeah. I went in and butchered three songs with them and they're okay. <laughs> Next. <laughs> so, so Greg, I want to ask about uh, the circumstances surrounding Chuck getting the gig and Alex getting the gig. Uh, do you remember how either of them came to join the band? Um, well, Alex, when... Basically, we got our first manager, Alexis Olsen, and right at that time, Derek Ramirez left. And the first thing that that Alexis Olsen did was brought us Alex Skolnick. And um, Eric Lilly and I went um, went to you know to go see this kid play, and we were all just floored. Like I'd never seen anybody do like arpeggios and like sweet picking and that before. And he was 16 at the time. Um, I, I was 18. And when we saw him play, we were like, wow, okay. You know? And um, with Chuck, you know, we knew him before. Like, I went to school with his brother. Um, and when, when Zetro left, basically, um, he brought Chuck to us and we we ended up recording a, a little two song um, demo that I don't think anybody really has ever heard. It was over the wall and the haunting, and it sounded great, you know. Basically, because during that time we were going over things with um, Megaforce, and you know we're going to get signed. All of a sudden, our snare quits. Well, you know that puts everything in in, in question, right? Mm-hmm. So Johnny Z paid for us to record those two songs. We wanted to hear the, the new singer. We heard those, uh, you know, we did those two songs. He heard them and went, okay, the deal's back on, guys. And, yeah, it's, it, I don't know where I'm going with this, but, yeah, that's, that's so, how that worked out. So, of course, Johnny brought you guys to record the debut in upstate New York. Um in the middle of winter, freezing cold. Uh, oh yeah, we did. And I'm sure you guys weren't used to weather like that at all, or had you been in the East Coast much? Oh no, the first time, when we flew into Syracuse the first week of January in 87, when I walked outside that door of the airport and that air hit my lungs, I had never experienced anything like that in my life. <laughs> You know, I was like, 
I, I like dropped my base in my suitcase and just left him there and turned around and went back in the airport. I'm like, it is cold out there. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, a week later, I'm drunk off my ass in Bermuda shorts out kicking snow around. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so tell- you know, I had never experienced that before. So, so tell me about working with Alex Prealis. Um, He'd he'd obviously done a lot of records for John at the Johnny Z at the time. Um, did you enjoy working with him in the studio? Well, yeah, I mean, especially those first records. We were just kids We really didn't, you know, have any idea about. You know, we we play our songs. You know, we've been doing shows for you know, like three years or something, but we didn't know anything about recording or that. We just we just listened, you know, and he directed and. It was. Um, it all went pretty smooth. Did um, did you have any real studio experience before the first record? Um, the the four song legacy demo, and then you know the little two song demo we did for Johnny Z, which wasn't even really a proper studio. That was done on like sixteen track or something. Um, but no, I mean no real real experience. Okay. You know, you've got a co-write on Over the Wall on the debut album. Uh, what what did you, do you remember what you contributed to the song to get a co-write? Um, the, uh, the little bridge part. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... It's a great song to open the record. It's got a tremendous guitar solo from Alex on it. Absolutely amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So when you recorded that with Alex, did did you record at the same time as Louis to get a drum and a bass track down, or did you record all the tracks yeah. separately? The way that we did, um, the way that we did those first two albums is I tracked with Louis. And we were just going for a drum track, um, but my my stuff we ended up being able to keep most of it, and I just went and punched in a couple things here and there hmm. to fix it. Yeah. Did um did you hang around for the whole of the recording, or did you go back home and the tracks oh, yeah. were done? Well, you stayed for the whole thing. Oh yeah. You just wanted to soak it all in and see how it all worked. Well, yeah, we all want, we all wanted to be there for for all of it, you know. Hmm. So do you have a favorite track on the debut? Um, oh, I haven't listened to that record in so long. Let me think for a minute. Probably Apocalyptic City. The, the last one. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's another great song. When that album came out, I was buying Kerrang! magazine in England. 
and it got five it got five k's in it and they were raving about you guys when when the album came out did you get a lot of positive response oh yeah straight away yes yeah and did that surprise you uh, I don't know. I, I, I guess it kind of did, but, but we were really happy about it. Hmm. You know? Hmm. Did you know at the time, Greg, that your, your, the main market for you guys is probably going to end up being in Europe? Because that's where the really heavy music was loved. Uh, oh, yeah. We definitely knew that we had to go to Europe. And uh, if we were going to do anything in the States, we had to break in Europe first. Mm. Do you remember the first time you went to Europe? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Was that with Antrax, was it? Yes, it was. Okay, so you were supporting Antrax over... Did you do a full European run of shows with him? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was like 40-something shows, I think. Okay. Any particular highlights from that tour stick out to you, like cities you loved seeing for the first time, or any particular Every, show? Every, every, everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> okay. So when you get back into the studio, you're going to do the new order. Did you write on the road at all, or were all those ideas left over from the first record? Uh, no, they. No, nothing was left over from the first record, but it was, and no, we didn't ride on the road. That was that was all done after the, the we finished those first tours. Except actually, Disciples of the Watch, we we wrote some more along the line because we were actually playing that um, on stage before before we did the record. Okay. Now I've read Alex's book, and I've act, when I, I asked him this when I talked to him. Uh, he talks about a phone conversation, I believe it was from Johnny Z, screaming at you guys that you only had 28 minutes of music for an album. Uh, do you remember that at all? Uh, I, I wasn't 28 minutes, but it was... Um, no, I remember Alex Ferriales talking about it, though, because we, we had never timed the record. You know, we just played the song and it sounded like a record to us. And for the contract, it had to be something like 45 minutes, I think. And we were about five minutes short. Okay. Of it. And that's what all that instrumental stuff is. Okay, so that was all written in the studio at the last minute? Yes. Okay. Okay. So I think there's a definite growth on the second record. It's a bit more varied, I think, than the first one. Yeah, I could see that. Hmm. So, do you have a favorite track on the second one, Greg? Um, actually, probably a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think maybe Erie Inhabitants, actually. First track. Yeah. 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 One of the things Alex said to me when I spoke to him about his memories of recording that record was 
getting the photograph done for the the sleeve on the back. He remembers it being so fucking cold. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm and I'm wearing a, um like a long coat that you know has the the, the split on the back, mm-hmm. and it looks like I got like it looks like I'm wearing like like big puffy clown pants or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> But that's, that's just like a long trench coat. Okay. At this stage, recording that album, had you been endorsed at all by gear companies with bases and amps and stuff? Or were you still using something you'd always used? By the second album, I, I'm trying to remember back that far. Because we were... I, I was hooked up with ESG for a minute. And I got one really, really nice bass from them. And then, um, not too long after that, I got hooked up with Ivan. Okay. And I don't remember if that was before or after we recorded the new the new order. I'm not sure what I what I used to record that with. I don't remember anymore. Hmm. Um, so, Greg, whose idea was it to record the Aerosmith song on that album? Uh. Probably Eric. I'm not sure, though. I don't remember. Okay. Okay. Was Who was the leader of the band back then, musically? W- was it Eric? Yeah, Eric. He, he was just, he just wrote the riffs, most of the riffs, and then Alex had had the solos on top? Well, yeah, I, and basically, I mean, the whole band was kind of Eric's idea. Yeah. You know, it was his concept. Okay. And another thing I noticed about the new order is um, there's definitely a lyrical change on it. That's probably because Chuck was in the band because I don't think he wrote anything on the first record. Vetro wrote most of the lyrics on the first record. Okay. And then Chuck came in and wrote them on the second one. Yes. Yeah. So we were just ready to record, basically, or you know, working out a, a deal when um, when Zetro left to join Exodus. Okay, so one of the biggest lessons you obviously learned from the new order uh, was to have enough material to come in for the next yeah, record. For, for the next record, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. practice what you preached, which came out in August of '89. Um, it was a little bit longer than the other ones. Uh, did you guys sit down with management and, and and say, "Listen, we need a little bit more time to write this one"? Uh, no, I don't think we had anymore those first three albums were were three years in a row yeah you just you just you were just more prolific on the third one than you were in the second one when you came to writing songs yeah we were we were just more on top of it you know yeah yeah um the song that people notice on this one uh was the ballad was there any resistance in the band at all from doing a song like that not that i remember okay and the other thing I notice about this record is um compared to the other the previous two, all the songs are credited as being written and arranged by the band, and the two before that they were all split down individually for each song w- w- was there any reasoning behind that i not that I remember okay D- did you contribute more to practice y- yourself in the writing than you did the other two um well, yeah, then I did the first two, yes, but but I think um I think I only have um, writing credit on one song, which which is practice. Hmm. Hmm. And this one you actually got recorded it in California. Uh, was that something yeah. you guys insisted on because it was too fucking cold in New York? Yeah, we we were done with going up there. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the lyrics on this one are definitely more. Uh, they're more political and more socially conscious. Um, does that just happen naturally or is that something that you guys just sat down and talked about? You know, I don't really know. I, I, um, I didn't write any of those lyrics, so I, I'm not the one to ask. Were you someone who wanted to contribute to the lyrics, Greg, or you just left it to You know, in, in the earlier days, I, I really honestly, um, did not have a whole lot of of writing ideas. As time went on, um, that that obviously changed, and there was how do I put it? I was pretty much excluded from a lot of that. Okay. 
So um, I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. Yeah. Okay. So one of the tours you did to promote that record was you did a big run of shows, I believe, with Annihilator and mm-hmm. um, Ratchild Ratchild America. Mm-hmm. Did did you want to go out with uh, maybe bigger metal bands or bands that were from a, uh, maybe a more straight ahead hard rock to play to a bigger audience? Because you seem to be on tours with bands that are very similar to you guys. You know, I... I think if if we could have got something, you know, with with a a bigger, you know, more mainstream type of act, we would have probably taken it. Um, I don't I, thinking back like that far. I really I really can't remember too much about about all that. Hmm. Could you sense that there was a definite growth in the band's audience in the U.S. after three albums? Oh or? yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, in in the three months time that we were on tour in the U.S. from, you know, on Practice What You Preach, from the beginning of that tour to the end of that tour was a huge difference. Okay. Okay. Like, we blew up over that three-month period. Hmm. Yeah. I think that album was very well received when it came out. Oh, yeah, it was. Hmm. I mean, but to put it in perspective, we started that tour at the country club in Reseda, which is, you know, it's, it's a small club. We ended that tour only a few miles away from there at the Santa Monica Civic Center. There you go. Which, which it was like a 4,000-seat, you know, venue. Yeah, and you were you were headlining. Yes. Yeah, well, there you go then. <laughs> yeah, in three, in three months. Wow. What, what would you attribute that to, Greg? Just hard slogging on the road or... I know you. Oh, yeah. I know you had a few singles that came out. Well, it's the touring and just the PR machine that we had behind us. Hmm. You know, Metal Maria knows what she's doing. You know, that's that. Um, that's clear to see. That's Maria Ferrero. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So well, let's move on to Souls of Black. There's been a lot written about this album. Um, a lot of the bands now they'll actually do what you did back then in that the tour is the big thing and the album is secondary. Well, back then, back then it was the other way around. It was the album was the big thing and you toured to sell the album. But when in 1990, when you did souls of black, you were basically told you have to, if you want to tour, you have to do a record. Um, yeah. And if our management would have, um, went to bat for us and you know basically gave gave the record company something else to promote other than um, releasing a new record practice what you preach probably would have ended up going you know selling you know easily twice as much and you know testament would have probably ended up being a much bigger band because mm. when we released soul of the black practice was still current it was still selling and the week that it came out it killed practice and so because everybody you know any new fans went got the new record instead of the, the you know previous one and you know in all honesty souls of black is not as good of a record as practice what you preach and it it really killed the band's momentum do you think a lot of that was down to um, decision-making, was down to, you know, you're on Atlantic now. You weren't on Megaforce that Johnny Z had left, and he might have gone to bat for no, you. No, but... no, no, still, it was Megaforce Atlantic. Oh, on Souls of Black? Oh, yes. Okay, okay. So, you had Michael Rosen producing this. Did you not want to work with Alex again, or it was forced on you? looking for something different okay and what what's the big difference greg between the way michael produces and the way alex did it you know that was so long ago i i I don't know i don't really know how to answer that one okay um i think that alex um i think alex definitely got better metal tones though okay the guitar tones in souls of black just have kind of a weird mid frequency to them um, it, it's just 
they just don't sound as good, I don't think. Okay, so you had five weeks to write that and six weeks yeah. to, six weeks to record it. That's uh-huh. that, that's crazy. Yep, I mean, I think it, it, it came out really well for that. Um, we were much more prepared for Practice What You Preach and just the material's better overall. There's, there's, a, there's a couple really good songs on Souls, but overall, from start to finish, um, practice is just is just, just superior to it, you know? Yeah, were you one of those bands back then that you didn't bring in material that you'd submitted for previous records and maybe try and rework it for the newer ones? Like, was everything fresh for each we record? Never had, we never had extra material. Oh, everything you wrote was recorded? Yep. Okay, so now I understand why Souls of Black was such a rush job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was, yeah, we never had, like, like leftover tracks or filler tracks or anything. We, what we had, we recorded and played. Hmm. Now, as a bass player, you must have been thrilled to, you know, the intro for Souls of Black has got your bass playing on it, that, you know, you're you're in the spotlight a little bit, and it ended up being one of the singles. So that must have been a thrill for you. Yeah. yeah. Was who was that your idea or was did Eric just say no, to you listen? That's an Alex Skolnick riff. Okay. But who 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 told you like listen we Greg, any chance you can do the intro on it? Did Alex tell you to do it or can you remember? Alex demoed up um part of that song with um starting it with the bass. Okay. So that was his idea. So you just played along to the demo? Yep. Okay. That must be probably one of your favorite songs on the record. Um, yeah, that that is a legacy. Hmm. Hmm. I'm a big fan of the Falling Fast first one. You know, that, I, that was just thinking of that song. That song's cool. It's just that it's so long. Like, the, the arrangement is all is just really kind of discombobulated. Like it has, it has really good hooks, but it just like it goes forever. Hmm. There's, there's too many verses in this something. <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of keeps keeps coming back and keeps coming back. Hmm. So it seems like there's like five verses or something in that song. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about the Clash of the Titans tour. That's the European tour. Yes. With Megadeth, uh-huh. Megadeth Slayer, yourselves, and was well, it suicidal? Suicidal, yep. 
Yeah, so that actually started on, I believe, September 22nd, which was like, you know, I think it was 1990. And you did a run of shows until, I believe, the end of October. Do you remember any particular shows standing out on that as being amazing for you? Oh, they all were. (laughs) But I I had a little mishap early on in that tour. Um where basically he's driving down the, the highway at night, you know, after after the show, while drinking on the bus, on one double-decker bus, and I'm and the bathroom is, like, at the bottom of the stairs, and I'm walking down the stairs to go in the bathroom, the bus hit the turn. I, I kind of tumbled down the stairs and ended up in the bathroom with the door shut, and my and my fingers stuck in the door, you know, shut in the door behind my back. Oh. So I had to reach around behind my back, open the door, pull my finger out, gushing blood. I needed like five stitches. Oh. And, and yeah, I, I um, played most of that tour with three fingers on my left hand. Oh, no. <laughs> A lot of alcohol to numb that then. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get to see the other bands play or were you literally getting yeah. on a bus and, and traveling? Uh-huh. You got to see a lot of the other acts. Sure. And you've obviously got to hang out with a lot of them. Like you knew the Megadeth guys before, before then anyway, but did you know the Slayer guys at all? Um, yes, kind of like we actually, the first show that we ever played was with Slayer. Okay. And what about the suicidal guys? Did you know them? Yes, a little bit. We played with them before too. Okay, okay. So are you one of these guys then that after your set, you maybe go to side stage or maybe out to the mixing board and you just watch the other bands? Oh yeah, and, and just yeah, yeah. Back especially like you know when I was young like that, I was out out just partying, drinking beers, watching the shows, you know, mm. chasing women around, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> And as a bass player, would you gravitate to David Ellison and Tom Array and and start talking playing, or was it was it just everybody? <laughs> just hung out with everyone. Okay, okay. So looking back on that tour now, you would have had certain expectations on it. Um, album sales, the way it went down, and everything. Were your expectations exceeded on it? Do you think? Uh, you know, I. I don't. I don't know. It's, I, it's too long ago for me to really put that in perspective. Okay. So let's move on, Greg, to the Ritual, an album I love personally. Came out in 1992. Uh, mm-hmm. I, again, you change a producer. You got Tony Platt to produce this one. Uh, whose idea was that to, to get him? Uh, pro- I think probably our managers, Elliot and Jeff. Okay. The direction on this one, it's not as trashy as uh, as the previous albums. Was that something that you guys sat down and talked about? Atlantic Records blew so much smoke up our ass about how they're going to make us the next big thing and give them something that they could you know, put on the radio and all this. And they really brainwashed us into that. Okay. Uh, it wasn't like... It wasn't like you have to do this. It was more of like like uh, um um like they they conned us into it, you know. And as when the record came out, they didn't do a damn thing. And at that same that same year, Pantera put out Vulgar Display and just destroyed us. Uh, that that if we would have put out a heavy record, I think we would have done uh, you know a thousand times better. Mm. I think I think I think Greg it is a heavy record it's just not a, a you know it doesn't have fast there's, riffs on it it doesn't have double bass no, drums on it there's no aggression on that record yeah except for maybe agony and that's about the only song we well that and and electric crown are the only songs we ever really played after that tour yeah so uh, how far into the recording of that did you get a sense that Alex wanted to leave? You know, I didn't know until uh, until he um, came, came out and told us. Okay. Okay. Um, 
Del James is credited as a lyric writer on this. Uh, do you know how that came about? Uh, I don't know. Between him and Chuck. Okay. Him somewhere. Okay. I don't know. Chuck's just a friend of his that helped him out. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I can't. I can't answer that. Okay. Uh, a lot of people compare the ritual, and unfavorably, in my opinion, a little bit to the Black Album, and. When Overkill came out with I Hear Black, it was kind of similar. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, to me, it's, you guys are slowed down, Metallica slowed down, and then Overkill came out with I Hear Black, I think, in 93. And that's that was an album that slowed down as well. It's, it's it, it was more commercial, heavy, mm-hmm. but more commercial, is the way I, I'd put it. Um, like what? What did you think of the Black Album when it came out? Like being a big Metallica fan. Honestly, I think the Black Album is brilliant. Mm. You know, like I I understand why. I, I guess I understand why people say what they do about it. Um, personally, I think Master of Puppets is probably still my favorite Metallica record. Um, but I think that. The Black Album is is amazing. It it was like they hit a home run with that one, and you know people can hate on it all they want, say whatever they want. That's a, still a brilliant record. Do you ever do you remember ever hearing anyone say it to you, or maybe uh, we have to get get an album that sounds like that one because that's the one that blew them up. No. So let's let's move on, Greg, to Low in '94. Um, what was the reason Louis Clementi left the band? Uh, that's that's kind of a long story. Um, he basically he was just going through changes in his life, and that you know people move on. Hmm. And of course, you had to get a different drummer in and and a different guitar player. So how did you get James Murphy to play? In the band, uh, I, I'm not. I don't remember who um, talked to him. I think maybe Eric, but Glenn Avalise had been had been in the band for like two and a half years or so. And then um, when when we were starting to write for the next record, which which ended up being low, it was it just wasn't going particularly well with him, and. Um, and basically, I was outvoted. <laughs> I, I wanted to, you know, to keep him in the band, um, and um, and you know, both Eric and Chuck didn't. So I said I was outvoted. They brought this guy James Murphy in. You know, came out from Florida, 
and he did really well. You know, I like James. I think he's. I think he did great on that record. Hmm. There's also a change of management on this one. Uh, you got Reed Glick and Arthur Spivak in. Was was yeah. the was the um, the lack of success on the ritual something that maybe pushed pushed you to get new management? Uh, well, that's. Uh, let me try to think back here. That 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 was that was a complicated situation. All of that. No, the um, Elliot and Jeff quit. We didn't fire them. Um, they left when Alex left. Okay. So you guys had to go and get new management. There's a lot of changes there. Did, like, did you think that the label was going to drop you because Alex had left? The album hadn't done that well. Uh, the musical climate at the time, Bar Pantera, wasn't really, you know, favorable to to trash bands or even any of the '80s bands at all. Yeah, I mean, it was well when we went and and did low. It was clear that. Um, that Atlantic was not going to pick up the option and that that was going to be our last record with them. Okay. You definitely contribute more to the songwriting on this one, Greg, than you did on the previous ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that something like it just naturally happened or did you push push yourself to do that? Well, kind of both, I guess. Okay, because there was no Alex in the... There was no Alex in the band, and someone had to step in and, and write material. Well, also over see before doing that, um, we were on on the road basically for about two and a half years with John Tempesta on drums and Glenn Avalise on guitar, and just that experience, especially playing with John Tempesta, it, I really grew as a musician and. Like like I hit a point where all of a sudden like I I knew I knew what I was doing I knew how to how to write I knew you know I had ideas and and it was just kind of like a maturing process for me. Hmm. Hmm. When that record came out, it got favorably reviewed, from what I recall. Um, it didn't sell, uh, but a no. lot of a lot of people regard this Testament record as. You know, it's one of definitely one of the underrated ones in the catalog. Would you agree with that? Uh, it's my personal favorite. Yeah, it's it's right up there with me too. I think it's a super album. Well, see, there was a lot of issues with. Uh, I'm not going to get into too much of it, but between Atlantic Records and and you know Reed Glick and uh, there was there, there was some dirt going on, and basically um, Atlantic because and because we were no longer going to be, you know, on them. That was the last record of the contract. They basically got us way in debt and then just, just cut us off, you know, just, just killed it. Like there was no promotion. There was like, like uh, basically Atlantic helped that record tank. Like it could have, that, that record could have done much better if, um, you know, if, if the record company would have wanted it to. Hmm. Now you, you said there you had John Tempesta drumming with you for a while, and he guessed it on the album. Did were no, you? No, he was still in the band on, when we did the album. John, John Tempesta was in the band, um, and he quit actually while we were mixing the low album. Oh no! <laughs> wow. Let, let's the lineup on um uh on let's uh, let me think. There's two videos. Return to Serenity and um, and Low, that it's not the same lineup that you're hearing on the record that you're seeing in the video. Okay. The band members changed, you know? And it's kind of funny because the, the Low record, the lineup that's actually on the record, never played live. Wow. Because, because um, Glenn, Glenn Alvarez was was playing guitar right up until we went and recorded. And then while we were mixing, John Tempesta left. Wow. So, so all five of the people played live with the band, but not at the same time. <laughs> and you still came up with a great album. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So well, came in just right before we started recording. Okay. So you got Michael Wagner to mix this one. Of course, Michael is known for doing 
a shitload of albums from the likes of Accept. Uh, you know, he's done it. He's done a ton of yeah. stuff. Um, did you have any input at all into the mixes for any of the records, or did you just let the guys mix the albums? Well, I mean, I gave I gave my opinion here and there. I mean, with with Michael Wagner, there wasn't really much you had to say because he knew what he was doing, <laughs> and you know what he what he uh, presented to us was just amazing. You know. Hmm. Now the, the song on this dog face gods, uh, Chuck uh-huh. uses a vocal style that he hadn't really used on any of the previous records. Um, was that something he wanted to use on the other albums, and they just he just didn't? I, you know what? I, I I can't answer that. I have no idea. Okay, because that's when 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 I heard that song for the first time, I was like, "Whoa, this is a, a complete other side to the guy." Did Do you remember doing that song live? Yeah. You did? Okay. Wow, that must have been killer. <laughs> no, we've, we've played it live more, you know, more recently, too. Like, when I, after I rejoined the band, it's it been that a few times here and there. Okay. Greg, I have to ask, out of the first six Testament records, Low is obviously your favorite. What would be your second favorite? The New Order. The, the second record. Okay. And your, your least favorite is obviously Souls of Black. No, The Ritual. Oh, The Ritual. Okay. Okay. So, Greg, what? tell me what you're doing now. Um, you know, what bands are you in now or what projects are you working on? Well, the, the main thing right now is Trauma. Um, have you heard the As the World Dies album? I have not. You need to check that out. Okay, um, I, I will, I promise. It's honestly, you know, and people always are going to say, you know, try to push their newest thing or whatever. But to me, I think it's quite possibly the best record I've ever been on. Um, there's maybe more impressive riffing on stuff like um, on low and formation, but just the songs on the trauma record are just, it's it, how do I put it? It's just you know it's one solid tune after another. It's all really heavy, but it's really hooky um, and catchy, and it's like the production is, is amazing on it. And I don't know, I just, I love the record. Hmm. Do you think and it's well, I was going to say, we're just starting to um, to pick up. Like, we just we just got management, like, a, about a week ago. And there's some stuff coming up that I can't yet announce. But it's finally, like, like we just spun our wheels for, like, what, a year and a half, two years or something. We couldn't get anything. And all of a sudden, now, 
all kinds of things are starting to happen. Like we're going to be in Europe in February. Um, there's some other things. Australia is coming up. There's some uh, some U.S. shows coming up. And I think I'm about to be back in business. Nice, nice. Well, that's great news. And I've also been playing um, with a band here called Deconstruct, which is it's with with Joe Frawlove, who's also in Trauma. It, it was the band he had before he he joined Trauma, and um, we actually have a show coming up here in like in like two weeks. We're supporting um, uh, Jeff Tate in Sacramento, and this is a little bit more like um, I guess like modern active rock. It's heavy, but it's but it has a, a little bit more of a modern sound where. The trauma stuff is um, a very kind of new wave of British heavy metal influence, but with a modern twist to it. You know, de- definitely check out the trauma record. I think you're going to be impressed. Yeah, definitely will. Uh, and the, the deconstruct stuff, it, it's not out yet. We've only released one song. There's um, there's a lyric video for it. I've posted it a few times. I, I was probably going to actually post it again today because we got that show coming up in two weeks um but the whole record is actually really good too and and i wish that i could play more of it for people hmm. do you think Gre- also, do you- oh sorry go on you say it also i did a record with um canadian band called rectify and um which just recently came out and i think that's a good solid thrash and it's yeah it's so i got those three things going on right now great great do you think now that you're a much different player than you were in the 80s and the early 90s oh yeah i'm a thousand times better okay when i came back to the band just the second time around that was i was clearly a, a far more experienced you know musician than i was the first time around okay is that just Playing with other people, you get a lot of that, or did you actually practice more, or did you go back to school a little bit? I, I spent God knows how many hours playing. It's you know the longer that you do something, the better you get at it. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. So, really so are you a much different player now as well? Yeah, I, I think so. I have I have a more understanding of what's going on i'm not um i'm not like when i was younger i was i was very much like kind of tried too hard and it was i don't know you know i I, I was a kid and now i i understand more like where to lay back and where to you know where to step it up Hmm. okay well greg it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you all right on. And uh, thanks thanks for the time. And if any of your bands get out to my area, I'm just outside of Boston, I'll hit you up and hopefully I can get, out, get back and say hello to you. Okay, yeah, definitely. And we definitely will be by that way. Okay, great, uh, great. Check out the farmer record. I will, I promise I will. All right. All right, Greg, have a good, have a good rest of the day. Okay, you too, All thank you. Take care of yourself. Right. So there you have it, Richie's rather lengthy chat with original Testament bassist, Greg Christian, all kinds of good uh, throwback stuff in there about all the early days of Testament from a guy who lived and breathed it for so many years. So a big thanks to Greg Christian for coming on the show this week and spending so much time with Richie to give us that trail of breadcrumbs back to the early history of Testament. And, you know, those guys still going on strong today. And even though Greg's no longer in the band, still one of my favorite bands out there. Every time you get a Testament album comes out, boom. I have got that one. And that also includes their brand new one, Brotherhood of the Snake. So, yeah, Testament's still going strong. If you want to keep up with the band, you can go to testamentlegions.com. And heads up for you European listeners, their European tour kicks off in February of 2020. So you want to find out all those dates of the Bay Strikes Back tour, then as I just said, go to testamentlegions.com. Dot com. So there you go. That's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus.